Thank you for joining us. This is episode 26 of Amateur 3D Podcast, a podcast by amateur printers for amateur printers, where we share our thoughts and experience. Our panelists this week are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Andy Cottom, Kevin Buckner, and Chris Weber. Hoy. How's it going, guys? Pretty good, Pretty eh? Good. I, uh, did we lose Kevin to the Canadians then? Uh, maybe a little bit. Or I is it just Wisconsin? I mean... Don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it would depend on more or less uh, French influence as well. Yeah. There's that F word again. Ah, oh, geez, I'm I'm sorry. It just keeps propping in. Yeah, you know that that reminds me of something um, that we that I heard on my mission. It was a one missionary talking to the uh, the mission president's wife, and uh, they they lived in the French side of Brussels. And he said, because my mission had Dutch side and French side, you know. Mm-hmm. And he said to her, you know what the most important phrase you can learn in French is? And she said, no, tell me. And he said, Expreque au fils neat. And I busted a gut as soon as he said that. And she said, what did you just say? And he said, what I just said was Dutch for I don't speak your filthy language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one could argue the same about English, and yet the language is everywhere. So. That's true. <laughs> I well, think it you just know, followed our money, really. Colonization of the British Empire. Uh, at least partly. That's a half of it. Um, if it wasn't mostly English-speaking settlers in Americas, we could be speaking Spanish right now. Actual Spanish, not South American Spanish. Yeah. Or French. Yeah. Or French. So. Right. But uh, the British Isles um, exported a ton of people compared to the rest of Europe early on. So yeah, Kevin, uh, you work on anything this week? Uh, Not with my printer. Still knitting for St. Jude. Cool. Uh, How much longer have you got that going? Uh, Through the whole month. So it's all of of March? Yes, all of March. Sorry, what, Andy? I see some of the stuff you posted. It looks really nice. Thank you. Especially if you're uh, a Firefly fan. fan. Definitely a skill I don't have. I'm envious of it. I I can't knock anything out nearly as quick as Kevin does, by far. I mean, I've been working on a crochet scarf from my mom for three years, and I've got eight inches. (laughs) Okay. So, Andy, have you worked on anything this week? Uh, no, not necessarily. Kind of, kind of not. Um, yeah, after we spoke uh, on our last podcast here, I sat down and tried to clean up my printer, trying to figure out what's, you know, what's going on with the poor print quality. Um, my bed, when you move it back and forth, you can feel like that there might be stuff on the track that those, uh, I was looking for a word last podcast. It was Del- Delrin, the Delrin rollers. Okay. Um, yeah. But it feels like the rollers are rolling over garbage on the track. And it's it's actually very noticeable when you're moving it back and forth. But I don't see that in the print. Like you'd expect on one particular area along the uh, y-axis, you would you would get a, a bump or something, you know. A, a Some kind visible, of hesitation. Yeah. 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 And and there's not any of that. It's it's that the garbage is just kind of all over. But I went ahead and cleaned it up anyway. Um, I mean, I, I water cool my printer, and I've had plenty of leaks underneath it. It sits on top of my washer and dryer. 
And so the underside of the washer and dryer has gotten really kind of messy with those leaks and just kind of looks really bad with all the little plastic strings and stuff that come off during printing. And I use hairspray. And so that gives a place for everything to stick to. And it was just kind of real, really gross. So I completely took all of the tracks of my printer apart, replaced all the Delrin rollers on the bed. Um, the carriage, both the Z and the Y axis, felt really good after I cleaned up the tracks themselves with just a damp rag. Um, oh. And they were moving nice and smooth again. Um, when I cleaned up the bed tracks, it didn't change anything. And so I went looking at the, the Delrin rollers. It's got six on mine for the bed. And uh, two of them had chunks missing from the Delrin itself where it made contact with the track. And that's what was mm. causing the problem. Oh. So I went ahead and replaced all six of those rollers. Um, I didn't have enough rollers on hand to do the whole printer. Otherwise, I might might have. I went ahead and ordered some, so I will next time. But the uh, Z and the uh, X carriage feel pretty good right now. I'm going to go ahead and go with that. But another thing I encountered when I was cleaning it up was uh, my X carriage. When we, when you would physically move the carriage back and forth, you can see the belt where it's rolling over the pulley on the um, uh, stepper motor. You could see it jump teeth. And that's another thing that I've never really seen. I mean, that's a DX ending, a, a D index hazard all by itself. Uh, for just that one tooth, if it ever jumped, it would be very noticeable. That's like, you know, two or three millimeters of a jump, maybe even a little bit more. You would notice that. And I've never had that happen either. And uh, I don't have any belts. I went ahead and ordered some more belts so I would have some on hand. But I took mm -hmm. the belt off and I scrubbed it with a dry brush on the, okay. uh, uh, the butt through the teeth of the belt and kind of cleaned it up that way. And I put it back on and it was still doing it. Now, when I run it with the motor, it doesn't seem to do it, but if I push it back and forth by hand, it does seem to jump. But it doesn't seem to be clean with the motor either. It's, it, it's like it's hesitating, but not quite enough to make it jump. And so I'm wondering if I actually may have stretched the belt a little bit over time. I mean, it's, it's a, almost a four-year-old belt that's been running this whole time. And I don't and know what I'm doing. It. I'm sure I've had times where I've over-tightened it or something, you know. So. Sure, yeah. I could have stretched it. I don't know if that could even happen. I mean, Chris, you you do a lot with CNC machines. Have you heard about belts getting stretched? Um, the CNC machines I've used don't use belts oh, in okay. that fashion. I would okay. be really surprised if the belts don't stretch over time. Yeah. I know that with, I know that with cars, um, you can expect a belt to last about five years. Yeah, and true. usually it's the the rubber that gives out at that point, right? It's not that the uh, well, and then you got the automatic tensioner, so you wouldn't necessarily know if it expanded over that time, whatever well, little amount that it would, because they're also when you're when you're putting a new belt on um, on a car, if you if when you take the old one off and you compare it to the new one, almost always uh, the old one is bigger than the new one. Mm -hmm. Like it's always been that way, and that's just because, yeah, over time it'll stretch. But you know, on on cars, you have the tensioner putting constant pressure on it, so it's constantly being stretched on purpose. As opposed There's to our printers, it's probably just stretching from pressure between the the motor and the carriage. It's it's just going to be the stress there that's st stretching it. Maybe you're just too strong, Andy. Like yeah. the stepper motor. I'm sure. I'm sure I've over-tightened it. I don't know what I was doing. 
uh, half the time when using this stuff. So I'm sure there were times I didn't do it right. So, Mullen, I, I wouldn't expect uh, the Stepper motor to have to put a bunch of torque on the belt. So yeah. when you're manually moving it, um, you would probably, well, I know that even when I turn my stepper off, I have to overcome the little bit of resistance from the motor to move the carriage. Mm-hmm. And if you just get in the habit of it and say, forget to turn off the stepper or something like that, you have more to overcome before it starts to turn. Eventually you're jumping teeth when you move your belt by hand. I, I, yeah, that's I generally, true, but I generally avoid, avoid trying to move my carriage manually though. Yeah, me too. You know, I'm always um, grabbing that sucker and jerking it back and forth. Yeah, and sometimes I'm I need to get it out of my way for something, but uh, with it's weird with the belts. I don't think I've made a big deal out of it, but with the screws, I've always been super careful with the the Z axis. Yeah, and it's because I've got oh. two of them. If one of them gets de-indexed, then the whole thing's going to be tilted from then on. Yeah, and I want to yeah. avoid that. So with Cura monitor mode. You can you can just use the soft keys on the screen to move your printer any which way you need you need to, and then mm-hmm. my uh, my touch screen uh, also has the same options. So I like never need to move manual almost never need to manually move it. I did one time when my print failed and almost crashed, but I, I think I'm always moving mine. Even like before I get ready to home. Before I engage the home, I'll usually just push everything so it's close to the home position anyway, so I don't have to wait on it, except for the Z-axis. I'm with Frank. That's, excuse me, that's one I usually won't mess with. But yeah, so I think I got a stretched belt. I don't think that's causing my problems, though. And uh, to compensate until I got, I bought a couple meters of belt material, so I will swap out both my uh, Y and uh, X belts. Uh, the the Y belt for the bed seems to be fine. I don't know if I'll change it just because I'm not having any problems with it. But the X, I, I think there's some stretching going on. And that is the one I've messed with the most. You know, I've had a different, a couple different kinds of carriages and I've taken it off and, and manipulated my carriages, put them back on. You know, I've done a lot with it as far as removing it and putting it back on. So, you know, you know I wonder if you can do... I wonder if you can do a quick fix uh, just the way mine is set up. Mine is actually not a, it's a continuous belt, but it's cut. And then the two ends are just pulled kind of taut and zip tied together. And that's how mine came from the factory. So, so mine's not, a, I don't think you could buy that as a continue, that kind of belt as a continuous belt. I know most of them are reattached together. I know on, on mine, I've got two, two, uh, uh, I don't know, tabs that stick out of my carriage on each side of the carriage and the belt on one side and on the other side connect to that, those tabs. So the actual carriage is part of that belt structure as it goes back and forth. And again, uh, same thing with mine. I, I think that's a standard to just zippy tie to hold the belt over on itself and then zippy tie it together. So okay. uh, in fact, I've got a project coming up that I'll share later um, that uh, I'm using that same kind of idea to join a belt together because uh, it's effective <laughs> it's, it's oh. not a nice way to do it but yeah mine does the same thing i usually don't mess with the tensioner too much because you can just pull it off of the tab and then it's disconnected and then grab it pull it a little bit you know to get it back on the tab but it's it's usually not too big of an issue uh, for mm-hmm. now i over tensioned it a little bit so that it wouldn't be skipping but that's not a you know it's 
harder on the stepper motor to drive it that way. And as soon as I get my order with some new belt, I'll go ahead and swap that out. But with all of that that I've done, I am still having poor print quality. Um, I printed one test in which I got up to an 80-degree overhang, but as soon as it got to the 85-degree overhang, I was starting to have problems. So it's even affecting me there. Um, and so there, there's a there, there's a, a yeah, I'm not entirely certain what I'm you know where I'm going to go next with this. But uh, I think I think I might try switching out my Cura profiles and moving into a default profile and then try to go from there and see if that might correct some of my problems. I'm hoping I just changed a setting somewhere by accident and it just kind of, I don't know which one changed. And so it's kind of a mess <laughs> or, or a collection of all of them. That... Yeah. Yeah. I've changed so much about my printer and then never changed the profile. Like this is the same pro for the most part, the same profile from when I got the machine and I'm running a, direct drive extruder now with a different size stepper motor and it's water cooled and all these different things related to it is completely different from the original TiVo, you know, the 110 volt bed now for heating mm -hmm. it up and cooling it down and stuff. That's all, you know, different from the original. So, so maybe. And he's got the printer of Theseus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is it still the same printer as it was when you got it? No, no, it's not. No. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't call it a TiVo anymore. I have changed too much out of it. It's built mostly from a TiVo tornado, and but it's not it, a TiVo anymore. It's a custom. Let's see. It's, it, it's Andy the Stein. the Andy variant of the TiVo. Andy Stein's <laughs> monster. <laughs> but deal that that kind of goes into it too, because I I'm not a professional and. I'm one of those guys that thinks they can improve something and tries to, but in the end might be actually doing more damage than any good. And I'm worried that I might've brought my printer to a point where it's not a good printer anymore. You like know, blowing, like blowing up the intake by adding compressed air. Yeah. It worked for a little while. It was pretty good. <laughs> I lost crankshafts cool. over that issue. I split crankshafts on that sucker. I think I deserve a little bit of credit for it working well. <laughs> um, yeah, it worked too well, but that's why it was so cool. <laughs> but, I don't uh, remember so, this vehicle personally. So. Oh, my, my little Hyundai Excel. That oh. was, uh, yeah, a, it's not instead worth a garbage a, car, but instead of it was turbo, definitely a toy. Instead of, instead of a turbo, yeah, he added uh, a way to com uh, throw compressed air directly into the intake. Yeah, and we just hmm. did compressed air with it instead and had an electric compressor. <laughs> it was it was a terrible way to go. So anyway, back to the printer anyway. part. Um, the the poor printing did happen all of a sudden. So and and not while I had changed something that I was aware of. So hopefully this will be a fixable thing because right now, I mean, I can print mechanical parts, but if you just imagine everything you do and wavering about every print line wavering about half a millimeter, that's kind of what I'm getting. It starts know. to add up. Yeah. So I could do quality prints. They just, they just kind of look terrible. Hmm. I know if you think it's the, if you think it's the rollers, you can always, um, uh, I can always just print you some intermediaries to, to test this. Oh, I've got tons of Delrin rollers. I've, I've replaced okay. all the ones on my bed and, I've only got, let's see, I got three on both sides of my Z that raise the gant on the gantry. I got three on both sides of those, and the carriage has three. But I only have three left in my bag of extra rollers. So I could only do, 
bike the carriage, but the carriage rollers I have recently done when I switched over with to my latest extruder. So those shouldn't need replacing, and, and I don't think they do. They feel fine. And the Z access, the, the whole gantry, feels like it goes up and down without any problems either. So I don't think that's the problem. And I might not even address those. But the bedge rollers definitely, I mean, I showed you guys printers of how worn out those poor Delrin rollers were. They were pretty messy looking. So Yeah, that picture was pretty, pretty rough. Had chunks missing out of the rollers. It was, it was pretty awful. And sadly, it didn't fix the problem. Nothing seemed to change, which oh, I'm no. both impressed that that didn't seem to affect my print and di disappointed that fixing it didn't seem to affect the print. Is, is oh. there an alignment process for those wheels, Andy? Like, uh, Or is it is. easy? Or is it difficult? Like uh, you have to add a washer here and hope that... No, no, it's actually really, really nice. Um, most of the time on your wheels, you'll have two different kinds of rollers. One is static, where it's just like a normal roller bolted through a hole. The mm. other one is not static. It'll have, it'll have a special offset washer, or not washer, uh, standoff. It'll have a lobed center, right? It, it'll have a what? It'll, it, it has a lobed center so that when you rotate it, it Yeah, so you can down, rotate right? the yeah. whole thing, and it will change the position of the center of the, the, the Delrin roller. And okay. so you can... So you'll have two wrenches on it, one to adjust that uh, standoff, and that's what pulls the roller back and forth, and mm -hmm. then the other one to tighten it up. And then gotcha. you get your third hand out to hold the nut. So gotcha. But uh, and and so yeah, I have to kind of kind of play with them. I got two right off the bat, but the third one trying to adjust it was a pain in the butt because you get it just right and then tighten and then it you down tighten and, it it and you've over tightened it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it pulls it further the other direction. So you have to like make it so loose so that when you tighten it up, it'll be right. It's just kind of a little messy, but I, I did get deal, it in the end. I deal with that every time I end up, I have to do a timing belt. Same concept. <laughs> you got to get it just yeah. right so that when you put the right amount of torque on it, it shifts to the right position. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> if you ever have to take yours off, it's uh, just as long as you know how to adjust them, it, it's really not hard. And it, it makes a lot more sense because then you realize oh you can get these lined up pretty nice on the track and when they're when you have them lined up well it should take some if you're holding the carriage stiff and you try to turn the wheel against the track you should be able to overcome the friction but there should be friction on the track that you have to overcome but it shouldn't be hard to turn it okay and that's kind of how you gauge how hard it needs to be clamped down to the track because if you overclamp it, then the Delrin will just wear down uh, to meet it. And it's a better idea to have it a slightly over-tightened than under-tightened, because the Delrin will, will wear into the correct tightening. I think it's interesting how much related to these machines is operated by feel. God, no kidding, right? Yeah, Insert your like, paper here, right? For Yeah, for until you feel stuff. just the right amount of friction. They, they can't describe what just the right amount of friction is. <laughs> You've got to figure that out for you, yourself. You, you're going to get a feel for where, to, where the balance is with the paper or where the tightness is for this bolt. And it's like, for such a precision <laughs> machine, that's a weird amount of feel that is involved with maintaining it. Well, no, the amount of feel is what makes that machine personal to you. True. Well, and it goes back to understanding the personality of your machine, too, right? Yeah. You'll it's learn just from a machine. each other. They don't think or feel. Yeah, but they sure have a personality. <laughs>
Ain't that they have the their truth? likes and dislikes. <laughs> Every machinist ever in the world is going, uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh. But, um, I think that's all I've really worked on. I've got a, a nice clean top of uh, my washing machine now. That bed feels good to pull in and out. It feels nice and smooth and everything's operating good. But um, I still can't get the overhangs that I used to get. I used to be able to to do the whole 85 without any problems. Okay. And now it starts to, to fall apart at 85 degrees, but it's still printing the 80 okay. So there's there's something else going on. I don't know how far I actually could have gone. I mean, I know you can't do 90, but um, you know the scale only went up to 85. So Right. Or as I was talking between five and 10 degrees, but it's because I was doing it backwards. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do a lot of things backwards there, Andy. Yeah. I won't hold it against you any more than just to comment on. <laughs> Actually, I want him to keep doing it because it's just it's so dang funny. Well, oh, and, <laughs> Andy, Glad I could I be want... entertainment with my struggles. <laughs> Andy, I want you to continue doing it because it works for you. Oh, thank you. Is that fair? Yeah. You don't need to conform to my, uh, what I feel is the better process just because I feel No, like but I'm also process. the same kind of person that will struggle doing something for years. And then somebody just says, why don't you just do it this way? And then it's just like, click. Well, because I didn't think of doing it that way. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, well, yes, of course it's easier. I just haven't done it that way for years. I was and back I'm in Utah. Keep doing it this way because gosh, they're not, I'm bound to get it right eventually. <laughs> I was back in Utah for a week watching you solder the meter into the the bedroom. I was yeah. like, you've got the leads, just put it on the ground. Then you don't have to hold the thing up. And you looked at me and and I quote, you said, I've done this eight times. <laughs> You're the first person to suggest that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you, you find one way to do it and it works and you think, okay. This is the way that I'm going to do it from here on out because it works instead of looking into it any further than that to come up with a better way to do it, to figure out, a, you know, that's just my character, I suppose. There's usually well, an easier way if you, if you look for it, but if you don't look for it, how do you know? Yeah. Well, and once you figure it out, you can outsource that process to the subconscious and focus on more important things. Makes sense yeah. to me. And a lot of the time you get the attitude of, Hey, if it ain't broke, why fix it? That's yeah. That's another thing. I am so willing to sit and 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 program a uh, spend hours coding something that will save me ten minutes. You know, so I got to be careful of that too. So it's like a, a fine line to walk. Do I want to overthink this to get it as easy as possible, or is it just easy to do it the hard way a couple of times because you're only going to be there for that long? And then sometimes when I go that route because. Overall, I believe it will save more time than finding the easier way. It turns out that, well, the easier way is like a lot bigger of a time saver or whatnot, you know, like solder and those wires and the difficulty there. And other times it's the you know, the other way around. So it's so, just I'm bad at deciding that kind of stuff. If you go back to the earliest known human tool or one of them, the spear, right? Okay. I imagine... The person who came up with the spear doesn't even have to have the spearhead, just the spear, right? He brings it into the tribe and he says, hey, I've got this tool. It'll make hunting easier. And somebody, I guarantee, looked at him and said, if we start using this spear, we're going to get fat. Because <laughs> until that point, we were endurance hunters, right? 
Yeah. So, or so there were people that growth. embraced the technology and people that were deniers of the technology. Two hundred thousand nowadays and their spears. Right. <laughs> so you know, you're you're not wrong. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the only difference now is broadcast around the world whenever something like that happens instead of kept within the tribe. Yeah. So, well, you're going to take an issue with this a little bit, Frank. Uh oh. Um, I decided that I uh, I ought to add hairspray to my box of tools. <laughs> I'm gonna yes. Go, I'm going to go back to if it works for you, do it. Okay. So let me explain. <laughs> so this week I've been printing um, the Pokemon Pokeball. Po- they're Pokeballs, but they're egg shaped, right? Okay. okay. So kind of not a ball um, anymore. Uh, Pokey egg. Pokey egg. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the bottom is white, right? They're red, black, and white. Well, uh, I'm printing some of them in different colors. You know, um, one of so one of them was like purple and uh, shiny titanium and and glow in the dark. So okay. all my regular colors print just fine, but I went to print the glow in the dark stuff, and it wouldn't stick to my bed the same way that all of the others had printed and just fine and that's the thing though is it's it it, it's supposed to be at the same temperature same settings and needless to say um a quick spray of hairspray probably would have just solved that issue because i still need to print the stuff at the same temperature with the same settings so quick quick thing a hairspray for this specific job when it didn't stick the first time would have fixed that i ended up messing it up twice before I got got it to stick the third time. Hmm. Hmm. Well, so did you use you. did you use hairspray the third time or did it just stick? Um, no, I increased the brim and then the uh, initial layer uh, temperature. Okay. Okay. You'll have, you'll have to play with the hairspray thing. I bet if it's anything close to what I experienced, you should be able to print with even no brim with it at all. Now, yeah, I would have stole some from the wife or the kid, but. Um, they're, they keep their hair kind of short, so hairspray's not a thing in my house. And and uh, that would require reading, Chris, to make sure that there's nylon in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully it will. If you give it, I mean, it'll be one one nice tool to have if you run into a problem where you just can't get something to stick. I definitely think that doing kind of what you're thinking might be a better route than what I'm doing. Kind of, I use hairspray with every print just so I don't have problems, but like you guys, I might not for for like a lot of the flat bottom things I print probably don't need anything like that. You know, they're they're probably going to stick just fine right on the glass. And, well, that's um, the thing is, I was printing with white plastic, and it it stuck just fine. Yeah, and this uh, glow in the dark plastic was the same brand, same type of PLA. Supposed it's supposed to follow the same settings to get to get the same print right. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Spostas. <laughs> it's as bad as should. Right? Dropping the S-bomb again. It, it's a uh, <laughs> variant. Supposed to. Should. Mm. Anyway, so my solution is to add the H-word. Okay. So. <laughs> well, hopefully it'll work out for you, bud. Yep. So. That's awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna try it out uh, next time I'm doing the glow in the dark stuff. If you do wind up having to buy some, uh, go with either Aquanet or um, 
Walmart's uh, Rave 4. Um, those ones I know for sure work, but I'm sure there are others out there that got the nylon in them. Yeah, it's just going to be whatever's whatever's cheap while I'm at the at the store, but has the nylon in it. So sounds good. Yeah. Cool. Hey Frank, what you been doing this week? Uh, I did finish my calipers case, or at least I thought I had. I learned in the last week that there's only one L in calipers, and there's two <laughs> on my case. I wasn't oh no! Gonna, I wasn't, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't gonna tell you. I didn't even notice um, that. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> because I spell good. So, so now you call a purse. I, so, I, I saw that and I was like, I could have swore there was only one L, but. I, I've been spelling it with two L's for like years. I don't know <laughs> why my brain decided that it needed two L's, but I because don't know. It, like that too. It's because English? English has inconsistent rules. That's true. I accept that. I don't like it as an excuse, though. Um, so, Chris, I shared the STL for these. And so I will, um, well, earlier this week. So I will run off a new STL that doesn't have any words on it so that you are not bound by the same mistake that I made. Okay, thanks. And I'm just going to live with it because I don't want to put more TPU into another lid. <laughs> I don't know. It's nice to have a uh, lesson reminder right there in your toolbox um yeah i don't need that kind of reminder in my life i've got enough of those floating well, around in my head just, as it is. you know type type it into type it into word or google or whatever whatever and it'll automatically spell check it before you stick it into the program well i'm sure if um, he questioned it at all he would have double checked it it's just one of those words that he thought well, he was spelling right without problems this whole time i've got yeah, dozens I, of those if I'm going to start doing that, I might as well just do it with every word and have a dictionary in the middle between the keyboard and whatever document my typing eh. is going into. I used to run a nice spell checker like that that would follow the cursor and just work off key presses to figure out if you're spelling stuff right. It was kind of nice back in the day. It actually really corrected my spelling a lot of the time because there was a setting in there to not pop up suggestions. And I found out that like that was the best way of it, the having to go look up how it was spelled afterward, come back and fix the word was perfect. Mm -hmm. Just having it beep on me when the word was wrong was like a big game changer to, for my spelling issues. I, I still I've spell thought, like crap, but at least it's like twice as good as it used to be. I've thought of a few things that programs that I thought might be fun to do, like uh, designing a program that will rearrange your keyboard so that it's more efficient for you. And do yeah. it based off of averages. So letters that you mo use more often but are slower to hit, mm -hmm. move them closer to the home row. And it would be completely organic. Okay. But I, I started to do that, started yeah. to work on it. And every time I ran it, my computer cried about key loggers. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, this is going to be a problem. Because if I'm going to do this, I'm going to want to do it for my work computer and my personal computer and all this other stuff. And my work you know computer what? would not want me to have a keylogger. Just a thought on that. I, on a lot of my software, I want to be able to read the keyboard without having focus. Mm. And so I'll access the user 32 and ask if a key is pressed or not, or at, you know, ask to return the state of a key. And I'll do that through the entire keyboard uh, you know, uh, 10 times a second or something like that when I'm trying to intercept that. I've never had any of my software 
flagged by a uh, at least um, Windows Defender. I don't know about other virus checkers, but Windows Defenders never flagged me for that. But that, hmm. that's just within the, the user 32 um, doing that, you know, having access to that. I think it was Git ASCII state was the uh, uh, function inside of uh, uh, system user 32 that you just you just ping the uh, the ASCII character and it will return a true or a false on whether or not that key is currently down. Um, I don't see an ASCII. I see a control key. I see an alt key. <laughs> um, You're fired. <laughs> oh, pun, pun, pun. Yeah, sorry. You can take oh, that out. Okay, you're not fired because I just realized you were saying ASCII, even though I was still reading it as ASCII in my head. <laughs> so I'll just keep my mouth shut, I guess. <laughs> if you're gonna That'll hit the ASCII key, there need, if you're gonna hit the ASCII key, there has to be a telly key too. <laughs> oh dear. Now, let's see here. I'm I'm looking up a, a module, one of the modules that I wrote myself this was back when i was in high school i wrote this module and i still use it to today i, I love mm. that it's um I'll, I'll come back with it yeah sure it uh in the discord so anyway i finished the calipers case and and uh i'm reading my notes oh um just in the last i don't know year there's been a lot of talk about using uh I call them three, two, one blocks. I guess most people call them one, two, three blocks. It doesn't. And you have two, four, six blocks. And <laughs> I'm not. So kidding. I decided that they would be interesting to add to my arsenal in my wood shop, and because okay. it's mostly hand tools that would be affected by anything, um, I can print them out of PLA, and you know. Um, it's durable enough for 99% of what I want to do out there. For and so play. a simple three, two, one block. Oh, that's cool. Um, oh, that's awesome. The first runoff, the, the holes are a little close to the edges and I ended up with a few places where it didn't print properly. Ah. So I'm going to move those away from the edges just a little bit and see, and run it again. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they'll be great when I'm using my, uh, my planer and that sort of thing to just clamp it down and give the piece I'm working on something to push up against. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, those, those look great for a wood shop, but I, I wouldn't, you wouldn't ever want to use those in a machine shop. Cause no, no, no. They're not accurate. Or, uh, first yeah, off, they're, they're not accurate. Second is that it, the second they get any coolant on them, uh, the plastic's going to suck up the coolant and they'll expand. That and, get soggy, and get soggy. Um, because they are not as durable, you ding them off and break them, and then their precision goes way out. Um, but yeah, oh, uh, as a block on my uh sled for my table saw to, to mark uh the dead stop there, okay. I, I've been using a custom made thing that I just clamp onto the sled. And it's like, you know, I could use one of these, just put it on there, clamp it on, and it would do the same thing. And this is more square than the thing that I uh, put together. Let me clamp him, boss. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, when, when that gets done, that'll be nice to have those, too. Nice. And cool. that's everything that I did this week. It felt like more when I was doing it. 
And when it takes a lot of time, it always feels like more. Yeah. And until you look back for sure. Um, there was a curiosity that I ran into um, as a little transition before we get to our topic. While I was um, syncing up the transcript with the last episode, mm-hmm. um, Chris, you came up with a mashup word of practical and irony, and you pronunciated it. Pronounced. Practicione. And Whisper found the word praticion, <laughs> which oh, was beautiful. fascinating. Um, yeah. and, and that's also a big part of why I go through and manually make sure that the transcript is the same as the episode, because it does great. It gets 99% of the words right, if not more. Um, okay. It's just uh, occasionally it'll misspell cura or practic i any because it's not a real word um <laughs> well it is stuff now like that. i'm well, gonna go to yeah. wiki and add it yeah it might as well um We've come far from youtube translations being made fun of for their subtitles and things or google because yeah. google has always been kind of awkward it's kind of neat the way google translation seems to work nowadays like you can you can translate into an unknown language and then retranslate back and get like almost the exact same thing or something very similar with the same condensation, not just the messages there. It's like also the way it you know you meant it to feel too. I, I so like uh, uh, syntax translates as well as the words because yeah. I know one of the biggest issues with any kind of translation, like with humans translating other languages. When you translate to a language that has uses a different syntax, you rearrange it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't remember or if you don't have the context for what you're saying, when you translate it back, words will be in weird places and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, um, it's never going to work with idioms. So. Well, and, and when you're automating the process, it's hard to teach a system all of the minutiae when humans really don't understand all the minutia necessarily. So, right. And when humans continually make new ones, make new ones and change ones that already exist. Intentionally abuse a system. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like uh, feeding a dead horse. Yes. (laughs) Feeding a dead horse. I kind of like that one better than beating a dead horse. Or making it's it, a making little a less violent. I like that. It, well, and and <laughs> bringing a dead horse to water. Okay, <laughs> 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 you broke Frank. You really did break me this time. My my brain doesn't want a thing right now. <laughs> sounds like a perfect oh. time to transition into our topic. That sounds oh, great. <laughs> oh, this is a garbage topic. Yes. No, absolute garbage. Uh, filament, to be specific, or resin. Yep. Um, what do you do with I, the old stuff? I think it came to mind because my dad gave me some resin. Or, uh, yeah, my dad gave me some resin. My dad gave <laughs> me some filament a little while ago. Okay. And I found uses for it. I just wasn't happy with it. So I... I there's what actually, I do with my garbage filament is I use it on like structural stuff. That's what I ended up printing um, 
my stand for or my spool and my uh, center things for my uh, filament to to make the diameter the inside hole smaller so there's not so much play there. Um, yeah. I printed all of that stuff out of the garbage filament because I didn't want to put it into like a statue or something like that. And by garbage, like you're useful. talking about the stuff, the the little bit at the end of a roll, right? No, I'm talking about stuff that has been exposed before I got a dehydrator, has been exposed to the elements for an extended period of time, and you look at it sideways and it breaks. Ah. There's also like so, they didn't formulate it very well, and so it doesn't some of that, brand new doesn't necessarily print as well as it should. Um, I, I'm sure that that gets associated with cheap filament, but um, I imagine there's even some expensive filaments that would do that too. So it's not necessarily a cost. Well, it's a cost of value thing, but um, I know so it is not necessarily less of an issue though. Not necessarily predictable. Um, yeah. That's so why we're not when, talking. To- we're not talking about re- recycled filament. We're talking about stuff that's already on a roll. Yes. Okay. I, I, in my mind, I guess recycled filament would fall into that category, though, because you, but you know, walking into it, that it is a uh, lower quality filament. So you're not really expecting so much from it. It's less than ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but things like, uh, what was it? Um, my brain shop. left me. Yeah, my brain's at the burrito shop. Give me a minute. <laughs> but yeah, like filament. I see what Frank's getting at. Just uh, there's a lot of different things that causes filament to become garbage filament. Either you buy it right off the bat, and it's just kind of poorly mixed or poorly blended together, or something. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of yeah. filaments there. The diameter of the filament wasn't kept in check, so it kind of it affects your extrusion rate. You know, there's leaving it out too long, even good filament, and have it absorb a little bit of water or, you know, become very fragile, especially PLA, you know, mm. it, it starts to break really easily. Yep. Yeah, let's say you left a, for... you got some PLA and you left it in your car or something. Yeah. I've actually found that train, caught the train again. Um, I found a brand that I like. And okay. so when I'm looking for a specific color or even uh, uh, like I'm looking for a different material, like that's where I got my PETG. That's where I got my new uh, TPU after I finished the spool you gave me. Not because yeah. the spool you gave me was bad, but because everything I use is through this uh, producer. And that's a better um, way to keep it, especially the spool I gave you was cheaper stuff, too. So. But the whole formulation thing and consistency is starting to be less of a problem, even with cheaper filament. They're kind of being a little bit more of a standard for, you know, the filament that we get than what used to be out there in the older days. Well, and even a year ago, the the demand for tighter um, parameters wasn't necessarily there across the board. And so as companies are growing up in the industry, they're realizing, oh, yeah, we, we can do this higher quality for less expensive to us. So we can still increase our profits and put out a really good product. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the companies that were ahead of the curve, always putting out a really good product, need to adjust their approach if they're going to stay competitive. And I think, too, the 3D printing community is kind of a tight knit community. And when someone mm-hmm. starts to complain about poor filament, it really affects their bottom line. So having yeah. good quality filament, even cheaper, is, is you don't want to be on even podcasts or YouTube videos or anything like that say, having anybody say anything bad about your filament. 
Yep, right. there's 3D forums all over, you know, three Colts 3D, Reddit, um, Thingiverse. So if you hear bad things about filament, you know, it gets heard loud and clear. Well, there's and, a lot of people that likes to test brands of filament too and make videos and stuff out of you, yeah. which is the best brand and things like that. So you know, people who make filament, they're definitely being uh, highly uh, reviewed all the time. And, and they're probably even small companies have probably specifically got a social media person that trolls all of that stuff professionally to say, this is what they're saying. This is why they're saying it. We need to either fix this or fix them. I wonder if there's a YouTube, <laughs> I wonder if there's a YouTube channel we can, we, we can possibly make to um, say, okay, so I left this spool of PLA and water for a week. I'm going to see how it, which which brand prints best after this you know i do feel like there's at least one or two videos where somebody's already done that yeah there's there's okay. a lot of stuff out there like that i don't think you're going to come up with a whole lot new when it comes to comparing filaments on on at least on youtube there's a lot out there um that said i am not opposed as we grow and as we you know decide if we decide to go with the patreon in a year or whatever, right? We would want to have extra content for our Patreons and doing a private YouTube channel might be a valuable thing to look at. But right now we've got 19 subscribers and we just got our 16th regular listener. So I'm really not so concerned about it, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Really though, I, I don't think I can actually. I don't think I could actually do that because, like, it, it, it goes against my grain to buy something purposely to destroy it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do that with half of the stuff that I want to get use out of in the first place. I don't need to consciously do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm all kind for. Of I'm all for experimentation, and so, and that's why I've done that a couple times with like playing with glitter to see what happens if I do that. But then I know that you know it's it's resin if, and I've got filters and stuff. So if I if I ruined a print, I ruined a print. But then I can clean it up really well and get the glitter out. In theory, in theory, um, in theory. <laughs> <laughs> I still had some glitter showing up in some some of my prints for a a few prints after I tried to oh, clean all the glitter out. You, you don't, oh, yeah, you, you don't, you don't have a little girl, so you don't understand the nightmare that becomes glitter once it's opened. You, I, oh, I understand. You don't, you don't have to have a little girl to understand the problems with craft herpes. <laughs> Good way to describe it. So, I always called it scrapbook herpes, but craft herpes works also. <laughs> so, so what kind of stuff uh, causes resin to go bad, Kev? Um, age will do it. Um, not storing it, like just letting it sit out for too long. Um, not sealing the cap proper? Is it an oxidization thing, or is it extended UV exposure ex- to UV? It's more extended exposure to UV. Okay. Um, but also, things will settle out because um, it's it's an emulsion, which uh, is a suspension of particles in a liquid matrix. 
So things will settle out, which is why it's important to shake it up every time. But uh, if you let it sit on your FEP for way too long after you uh, are finished with a print and don't clean it up, you'll you'll get a lot of that settling, and it won't be you won't be able to really sufficiently resuspend everything. Um, so you're you'll increase the rate at which your resin goes useless anyway. Now there are there are the the professionals who will tell you that you should never reuse resin anyway. And then there are some who say it's okay to reuse it once, but for what I'm doing and for my budget, I will use it until the print starts failing or until it's way discolored. Um, like I've had some that sat in my beakers too long because I was lazy about cleaning the beakers and it went from a light gray to a dark translucent gray. And I was like, yeah, I'm not even going to try to print with that anymore because I don't trust that it will do anything that I want it to. So you can't just stick it in the blender and then try it again? Not at that point. <laughs> okay. Don't That's put correct. resin in your blender, folks. No. Well, <laughs> n- not in the blender that you put food in anyway. If you're going to have a blender, keep it in your office and use it only for the... Uh, the resin that you're trying to revive. Yeah. Actually, if you're going to have a little uh, blender for your resin, they, they, um, they make these handheld stick blenders where it's just got the blend blender blade at the end of a stick. You just. I've anyway. seen those. Yeah. The bottom's got like a spring around it kind of thing, like a circular wire with the spring on it. Yeah. I've got one of those to mix for coffee. coffee or something. Yeah. Uh, no, I this is that actual... would work good. This is an actual blender blender with sharp blades. Oh, yeah. oh. yeah, I've got oh, okay. I've got one of those. I use it for making soup. I, yeah, that's like, my primary blender in the kitchen is those little stick blenders. I got nice KitchenAid one. I love that sucker. But yeah, get yourself a little motorized thing if you're going to stir up your blessing, resins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, just be smart about it and don't risk merging separated resin with good resin and don't leave it out <laughs> what take care of it in the first place yeah i mean it, it's more cost efficient that way right definitely as long as you're, as long as you're going to reuse it i did learn yeah. one thing that was kind of neat when it comes to reconditioning filament with heat hmm. um i i went to go and use some uh, old pla that um i had gotten too little of to be left on a spool. So I usually pull it off the spool and just set it in front. And then if I have anything, that way it could weigh it really easily. So I know if I'm printing something small, I would have enough there. And mm-hmm. I had a, a small stick of it. Uh, it was only just a couple of, a uh, couple of grams that uh, I went to go and, and use. In fact, this was for that, um, that overhang test print that I, I did this last week. And I went and grabbed it and went to go feed it in. And I usually tweak the very end of it um, at an angle, kind of bend it out so it's more straight so I could put it in. Yeah. And uh, when, when I did that, it just broke. Okay, super fragile. It is probably like six months old. And it's just been sitting out in the open air because I, I don't, all the rest of my filament, I keep in plastic bags except PLA. PLA, I just let out in the open air. And, it, and it's ABS. pretty durable. I do that too. Yeah. Every once in a while, I need to recondition it, but those are the ones that you need to sit like, six months out in the open and before you have to really do it. But And once I again, also it. for our listeners, we live in the high desert. So we're yeah pretty arid anyway. 
Um, if we get higher than 20% humidity in the air, it's super humid for most of the residents out here. So, yeah. And you'll hear anyway. Everybody in the southern U.S. is going 20%. Holy crap. I would love 20%. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, so I went and threw it in the dehydrator, and uh, I think it's set for 158 degrees is, is where I figured to set it at. And I left it in there for like 20 minutes, pulled it back out, and it was back to being nice and flexible again. So even oh, with so just 20 minutes under the heat, it reconditioned very quickly. Nice. I, I, I haven't put my PLA in my uh, dehydrator for less than four hours. And usually I don't either, but I was just trying to hurry up and print this one thing. So I pulled mm -hmm. it out just to see, hey, is this good enough I can print? You know, I'm not printing something important. So yeah, it's, it's not going to take forever to run off anyway. Yeah, if it's got a 50% success rate, at this point I'm okay with that because, you know, it'll show me quite a bit in that 50% in which it would work. So I, I just ran that and it worked just fine for the uh, the whole print but um but yeah just reconditioning filament with heat oh it helps so so much hmm. and you're reducing waste yeah i did just have that one thought though that i have periodically where when you're putting it in for longer it's also a larger volume so it needs to penetrate into the spool whereas yeah. when it's an empty coil like what you're talking about it doesn't have it doesn't need to have that time to do the thing so yeah, yeah and the coil the... itself was like two meters long too so it was a very small coil of plastic yeah you're also talking about surface area too too there frank you know more you yeah there's more surface area exposed for a smaller amount of plastic versus you know a whole big roll right and, and i'm sure this is lots more surface area and i'm sure this is a lot different than you know having a water soaked filament too I wasn't mm -hmm. trying to get the water out of it. As far as I knew at that moment, water wasn't really a problem. It was just the fragility of the PLA I was right. trying to overcome. And that might be something that does recondition rather quickly compared to taking the water out. So I'm not mm -hmm. going to stop dehydrating it for, you know, 8, 12 hours at a time to make sure the entire roll's good again. Um, but if I do have one of those little things, those little coils I want to throw in there that I know is probably brittle, and I'm it breaks gonna... while you're trying to get the get it fed. Yeah, I'm gonna heat it up in the dehydrator for 20 minutes before then, just to make sure that it works. Because so for those of us without a dedicated dehydrator, could I say just use my print bed? You know what? For a coil that small, you that might work. Yeah, just a little that bit might work. So yeah, I did just have a a thought for you there, Chris. If you were to create like a cover, I'm sure you've seen the covers that go in the microwave for dishes that goes oh. over the whole thing. If you were to print off a cover, you, you could print it off of out of any material you want. The more I think about it, if you put a cover over it on the um on the bed, on the well, bed. Hot, that would contain the heat inside and just print it so it can ventilate. I have no reason in my mind that it wouldn't work just as well as a dehydrator. That well, is I, a beautiful idea. Why Actually, haven't we seen? I've never seen that. But that makes total. I mean, it's no different than a dehydrator. At this point, I would. Still There's no use fans. The bed, there would be no fans. That would be the one no. thing. So it wouldn't necessarily dehydrate so well. From not at least not from fans, though. At least not from air motion. Yeah. You know, it would be a purely heat dehydrator, but it would it would still work. I would think. 
Um, I think I would just use a glass dish. Yeah, I'm sure something like that. If you're just trying to recondition it with heat, uh, a glass bowl, even though it's not vented, would probably work just fine. You just need to find something big enough to fit over the spool. And I just think because the there's the plenty of glass, things out there for that. Yeah, because the because the printer bed is glass. If you use a glass bowl, it actually retains heat better. Like I don't know if you guys have ever heard ever tried softening butter, but if you microwave a a glass dish and just put it over top of the butter, it actually uh, warms the butter evenly. So I I, I think the same concept would apply. I, I have been softening butter the wrong way, the hard way, where at 12 seconds, it's still hard as it was in the fridge. And at 13 <laughs> seconds, it's liquid. So <laughs> your yes. solution there, Chris, is brilliant. I love it. I might uh, have to try that. That's a great idea. It's an old baker's trick, actually. Um, huh. Yes, I have bakers in the family, so. I'm, I'm gonna have to get that thought, a shot next time. I, we just I like throw it on all Weber's. <laughs> you just throw it on like a plate with a, a glass bowl on top of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you so you you actually warm up the bowl in the microwave uh -huh. and then you put it on top of the butter. Oh, I love it. Chris won the uh, suggestion um, <laughs> lottery. I'm. He's good at this this week. Sorry. It, I, is I, no. I was surprised you guys didn't know about this. Lottery has a bad connotation in my mind, but that's only because I've read Poe. Um, Contest. Bingo. I, I like bingo. <laughs> the idea, bingo. You've got three in a row there, Chris. One more plus the... Uh, the free space? Um, I got a turkey. Plus the free space. It gives you a full bingo. Yeah. There. <laughs> Good deal. But yeah, that, that, that's a great idea, um, putting a, a bowl or something over the filament on your bed and using that to condition a, uh, recondition the plastic. Uh, like yeah, I say, you, probably wouldn't work too great for dehydrating the water out of it. But if you just got brittle plastic you want to bring back, that would probably work. Just Yeah, I could probably just use my, own, my print bed as it is. And uh, you can get these bowls uh, really cheap at any department store. At the dollar store. store. Yeah, at just about any department store, yeah. Um, I know that I personally use like the Anchor brand because they're really easy to get your hands on. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if anybody out there is thinking about needing a filament uh, dehydrator or a filament dryer, uh, just know buying a standard dehydrator works really well. And then all you do is just take the, the trays of the dehydrator out and you cut the grid of the tray out. So you still got the form that, you know, makes up the tray, but the actual grid of the tray is gone. And then you can just stick your, your rolls of filament right in there. And most of those, you know, cheaper dehydrators work really well. And like Frank said, it's been my experience getting a dehydrator that does have a fan works so much better than ones that don't. And um, I spent, I think, $50 on a dehydrator that was, a, a, you know, where you could digitally set the temperature. And I really like that one for a filament dryer. It's worked out really, really well. And mine's just got the dial. I, I, I don't care about what temperature so much as that it's running constantly for the time that a dehydrator is supposed to. Yeah. And I think that that's probably going to be the biggest thing about uh, between using your print bed for the heat source and using an actual dehydrator. Because the dehydrator will get to, you know, your relatively low temperature and stay constant. 
And I feel like the print bed would take a lot more electricity to maintain that same temperature for an extended period of time. Well, yeah, yeah because it's not an enclosed system. But if you have an enclosure, possibly better. If you're doing the reconditioning, that'll be great because you're only going to be running it for like 15 minutes. And let's face it, most of your prints are going to run for hours on end anyway. Yeah. But if, if you're reconditioning, you, you want the lower temperature with the fan and all that to actually dehydrate and recondition. Yep. So another thing to throw on the do not use your printer for, don't use your printer for a dehydrator. Um. I I, I think it's more things it wasn't designed for than yep. don't use it for that because it can be used and it would probably be really effective, just not very efficient. Exactly. Yeah. As opposed to Andy drying his socks. It's not designed for anything along those lines. Try my socks. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Right your there. wife's socks. Oh, so was there anything else anyone wanted to bring up before we close this out? Um, uh, dr drying filament in a vacuum does work, but it's not very effective for reconditioning filament. We did talk about that a couple mm -hmm. of episodes too. So if you happen to have a vacuum up. chamber and you need to print right away, but you got, you know, sparkling filament when you put it in a boiling filament and everything else about it's fine. You could probably throw it in the vacuum chamber for a couple of minutes and, and and do quite a bit of water removal on it if you needed it done quickly, but it's still not going to be as effective as a you know a heat dehydrator. Mm -hmm. We also mentioned storing um, storing filament with a vacuum sealer. Yeah, like a, a food vacuum sealer. Yep. Uh, obviously, of course, you want to have time. a dedicated tool for that. Yeah. So you can use that to avoid getting garbage filament in the first place. Yeah, that is true. I think most of if you're you if you're getting into your filaments a lot and you want to store them, there's a lot of boxes and things like that out there to help keep the um, you know the uh, air limited. There's actually there's actually a whole to. a whole category of stuff that you can buy now. You know, the, the early printers, they needed to make their own containment systems and all that. And now it's becoming a part of the industry where you can just buy this stuff now if you don't want to get into it yourself. So, yeah, which I'm considering because the wife won't let me anywhere near her food dehydrator with the intent of putting plastic in it. Justifiable. <laughs> um, we went over that fairly recently as well. Right. So, so I think just a Ziploc bag would work just fine. Because, I mean, if you... If you take something out of the, the case you're keeping your you're holding your filament in and put it back in, the air that's inside that case, what liquid is in there is either going to go in into your uh, what's it called the descent the, the the packages of desiccant desiccant yeah desiccant, desiccant. or your filament. It's going to go into either one, but that's just the air that's inside there. And something cheap like a Ziploc bag put your filament in there you're limiting it the exact same way with a well, couple patches of, of that it's really really cheap actually thinking about it if you want to reuse a, a a sealable reusable bag it may be worth investing in those ones that you uh that have the little attachment for your shop vac or for mm. your house house vac or your, your dehydrator that we were just talking about they have those too yep if yeah. you want it to be reusable um 
there's and also desiccant can be recharged in the microwave as well. So if you got a package of desiccant oh. that's not working very good, you can you can microwave it. Microwave so I just created right a little thing I... to take all the desiccant from the plastic I'm buying anyway, and I've got two of them full and only one of them in use right now. Nice. So if it stops working for some reason, I just dump it out and start filling it with the stuff that comes with the new spools. Um, But what I'm also doing is I've got a couple of one-gallon buckets with the UV twist-off lids so that it's got a good seal. And those will fit three uh, one-kilogram spools of plastic in them. So if you're looking for these, these are called gamma lids. Yeah, that one. I said UV, but you know what I meant. (laughs) Yeah. They they are UV proof. Yeah. And and they're they're reasonably airtight too. So thinking about that, yeah, meant for storing be, food for long periods of time. So that would be a great place to put resin, not like yeah. dump it all into the bucket, but you know, put your bottles of stuff in that bucket. And uh, being a UV resistant bucket, now you, you gotta if you're gonna do that, you need to make sure that the bucket is UV resistant as well. Yeah, just because the lid right. is doesn't mean that the bucket is. Right. Um, well, I mean, resin also already comes in UV proof brown, brown bottles. Bottles, yeah. So there's that too. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, I need to catch you guys short because I got things to do. Um. Well, you're the tallest, so. Well, so do we all. I just needed to, if I may, just real quick, take a couple minutes to talk about disposal because if we're talking about garbage we have to talk about getting rid of the stuff and with filament i'm sure you guys just like either throw it in the recycle bin or garbage or whatever uh, uh you can't do that let with, him continue we can flesh that out go ahead you guys. can't do that with resin you can't dump it down the drain uh, it's hazardous so yeah. what you have to do is if it's a little bit you can dump it in your wash solution which you should be once again should be cleaning every few washes uh, you just let it settle out and then transfer it to another container and wipe up all the sludge from there because mm-hmm. the alcohol will completely denature the uh, resin okay um, or if you've got a larger quantity of it you get a container that you don't care about like a one of those lunch meat containers or a plastic bag and put it in there and then take it out in the sun and let it harden and then you can throw okay. it away oh. yeah that you works. know what would be really good for that is they make these clearish bottles. So either old milk jugs or uh, they make clearish bottles that you use for your car wash fluid. Yeah, that'll work. Yep. Hmm. Hmm. So when it comes to disposal of filament, um, it was mentioned a couple of episodes for that too. Um, we cannot recycle any of our thermoplastics. That's right. I remember that now. They, they, they do pretty- not go, well, unless your municipality can account for them, which most of them don't, it's better to assume they don't. Right. Because um, especially with like PETG, um, the G is what makes it the, uh, the low thermoplastic that we can print with. And it is a contaminant for the regular PET that you consume stuff out of, like uh, uh, water bottles and things, water bottles and that sort of thing. And if just right. a little bit of that contaminant gets into a batch, the whole thing is trash. And, and so it's actually well, destructive to drop 
the PETG into your recycling bin. And most and, municipalities don't know how to sort it anyway because there is no number stamped on your garbage PETG. Right. So so there's that and um, like the PLAs and the TPUs and even the ABS. Um, there are variants that are contaminants to uh, what can be recycled. So it's better just to cover all your bases and either find a way to reuse it yourself, which uh, we haven't, maybe we should talk about it, even though we're not really equipped, any of us, to reuse the the filaments. Um, so it's better overall for the environment and all that, surprisingly, to just throw it away. Mm-hmm. Um yes. Or reuse it yourself, which okay. obviously would be better, but you have to be equipped to reuse it. Right. Uh, it's a project on my list. All right. It would be a fun project to do, even if it's not something you could actually like really benefit from. You know, it would be fun yeah. to still oh, do if, it. Yeah. If if I if I make any progress on it, maybe we should do an episode on recycling. But that's not for today. Right. Sure. For, for today, I think we need to close it. People have time constraints. Things to do. All right. Well, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to the very end. Very, very Um, end. Yeah. Here we are. If you like what you hear, please give us all the stars and subscribe. We are available through a wide variety of podcast vendors, and so we're easy to share. If you have feedback or if you have content requests, please let us know. You can find us in our Facebook group, Amateur 3D Pod, or you can email us at panelists at amateur3dpod.com. For individual feedback, you can email us at Franklin, Kevin, Andy, or Chris at Amateur3DPod.com. The music in this episode was written by Kevin Buckner. OpenAI's Whisper completed the heavy lifting for the transcripts, which you can find linked in the description. Our panelists are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Kevin Buckner, Chris Weber, and Andy Cottom. And until next time, we're going offline. Keep your FEP tight. Sign off, are you, suckers? I really need to come up with something. Uh